thoughts. Hola, Danny. Hola. Hola. You Hola, been, como estas? You have been traveling to es, uh, Espanol speaking. Habla, habla Espanol. Uh, I don't know how to say countries in Spanish. Darn it. I've already looked like an <laughs> idiot and we're not even 30 seconds into the show. Yeah, that's about as far as I get in in uh, in my Spanish uh, translations. I'm not I'm not very good. I went to Chicago, which is the perfect place to um, rehearse your your Spanish. Your broken so Spanish. That, that, yeah, that's where I was coming from. Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty good. I'm pretty tired. I'm gonna say it's a it's a sleepy Wednesday over here in Seattle. I'm back in Seattle town. It's actually really nice, nice. outside, like 75 it, but, degrees, but, but, which is but wait, crazy. Is it is it sleepless in Seattle? Oh. Uh, LOL, right? Didn't take one minute. I already look like an idiot, and I've made my first awkward, bad pop culture joke. You're, I, I might as well just drop the Best. mic and leave the podcast now, honestly. Yeah, just, I mean, just basically throw it on the ground at this point. <laughs> right. Anyway, mean, that's great. So tell me about your trips. Tell me how it went. Oh, man, it's been good. It's been really, I would say really bananas. I mean, last time we talked, I think I was getting ready to go to Chicago, and or I was in Chicago. I don't even remember. And everything is a blur, Danny. I, I did a conference on Tuesday and then I flew out to Chicago. I did another conference on Wednesday and then I was in Chicago for a few days and I was in Orlando and I did like two or three keynotes and a session and worked the booth and now I'm back and then I leave tomorrow for Paris, which is crazy. And I got my passports back and it's everything's just a blur, but like it, it's all good and fast and furious all at the same time. Now, Juju, Danny, go to blunders.fm, by the way. I have to, as I'm fast and furious in here, did you notice episode 23, um, the box art that I put on here? Episode 23 for, I, I didn't, no, I need to. No, good. Go to everyone. Everyone, everyone needs to go to blunders.fm slash 23. That's okay. how you can find last week's episode. Do you That's see right. this beautiful yeah. banner? Artwork? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it championship championship is my favorite yeah, yeah. a little fast uh, and furious back there tokyo drifting yeah no that's it and that's the one that's the one fast and furious that that didn't matter as everyone knows exactly. um me and me and my brother have i told you about, i've told you about our 60 second movie summaries right no i don't think oh, i've it's, ever it's heard game, of this no. this is actually a really a really fun game that is i recommend you and all your friends play it because it's it's one where, you know, friends look, friends don't let friends see bad movies if they've already seen it and been tortured through it. True. So true. You, you've seen a movie, not a good, it's a great movie. You want to keep it to yourself and you want, you know, those who you love in your life to experience the same joy, right? So I, so you don't tell them anything about it. Movies that are bad, like my brother and I do this a lot. Like he's like, Hey, I went and saw. What was the one with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt where they're like reincarnating over and over again? Um, like uh, the, the day living tomorrow, on the or edge of tomorrow, edge of tomorrow, or something, right? Yes. So I'm like, he's like, yeah, I saw it. I'm like, how was? It? He's like, ah, I said, and then I go thirty second movie summary, and <laughs> uh, and he goes, and he goes, yep, here it goes. So Tom Cruise is a guy who's a warrior, just like Emily Blunt. Turns out he realizes he's reincarnating into the same experience over and over again. Twist ending, it is whatever, right? So like that's what you do. You give somebody the summary and. But the big challenge we have is Fast and the Furious is so bad, but Josh has been committed to seeing every movie in the epic now eight-part Too Fast, Too Furious, whatever the bleep you want to call it, right? So so every time it comes out, I challenge Josh to still be able to summarize the entire series in 60 seconds. <laughs> the entire series? It's hilarious that he always starts with Vin Diesel says winning's winning, whether it's by an inch or a mile. Movie two doesn't matter because Vin Diesel's not in it. Movie three... 
Uh, anyway, he just like he it's it's awesome. He kills it. He crushes it every time. Honestly, it, it's so sorry that was not in our in kind of our show prep notes. But if anybody, I recommend people play this game. Sometimes if you have a drink or two, it's kind of like drunk history. It's a lot of fun. You have a drink. You've seen a movie. Nobody else wants to see it. Give yourself a challenge. Summarize it for your friends where they feel fulfilled that they've seen the movie in thirty seconds. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's pretty. That's pretty much amazing. We should. We should do an episode. We'll, maybe we'll challenge ourselves next week to watch an, uh, a movie and then try to do that. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty fun. Oh man. Yeah. Well, don't act like the sh- the travel was all bad though. I understand you went to the Stranger Things bar. You also you also basically ripped my heart out when you saw Hamilton without me. So there was a there was a big sign on the Hamilton when I went into the theater uh, in Chicago and I said, you know, do not record, blah, blah, blah. I was like, but what if I want to? And what if I want to give it to Danny? So I will (laughs) say, though, that um, Hamilton was great. I did. Heather and I did this interesting thing that uh, Luke and Dinah told me that I better listen to the soundtrack over and over again. And there was only like one or two songs I think I've ever heard um, from Hamilton. And we didn't listen to the soundtrack at all. So uh, I was actually quite happy because some people, this was interesting. I, I'll tell you this. Some people that we went with said that they know like the entire soundtrack line word for word, and they noticed the inconsistencies from the soundtrack to the live performance. Dude, that is so interesting mm-hmm. because I have listened to the soundtrack a million times. My wife and I love Hamilton. My wife is also obsessed with Lin-Manuel Miranda on Twitter, who's an awesome person. He's now raising money for Puerto Rico because he's from Puerto Rico with all the hurricanes. Anyway, so my wife tells me basically what Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing on a daily basis. So that's great. Um, But he's a super talented dude. And I... The other issue I've told her is like, I'm like, honey, we have experienced Hamilton so many times and being sung by... You know, by Lin Manuel Miranda, right? I mean, by all the stars of the show, that I don't know that she would enjoy it as much as she thinks she would now. Mm, that's true. Like, you, if you notice those inconsistencies, or it's like a different cast and a different crew. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I think that the 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 friends that we went definitely enjoyed it. I mean, it was I like I like musicals. Those right? Like, I've seen Wicked three times. About to go see uh, Book of Mormon again, uh, which is quite entertaining. So even though I know those, I'm going to go again just because I enjoy it. But I think it, I mean, to me, it's the experience about it, right? So I didn't even notice that. I mean, I wouldn't have, I probably may have noticed that perhaps something went awry. But I I don't know. I think it's just different if you like that type of thing. But now Heather's just listening to the soundtrack over and over again. And that's probably what I'll keep doing so I can actually get the context of it. But it was super good. And if you get a chance to drop ridiculous money for to go see a show, then I would I would recommend it. But uh, if you are in Chicago in the next few days, like you said, Danny, there is the Upside Down Bar. Uh, have you seen Stranger Things? Are you a Stranger Things fan? Uh, I've I've heard about this bar, and I know I know what Stranger Things is about. Um, somebody said, what did somebody say? That somebody looked like somebody from Stranger Things who I knew. Never mind. But go ahead. Sorry. So this this bar is pretty rad. They. It, it's not like an official Stranger Things bar. Basically, they got a cease and desist because they just decided to theme their entire bar after Stranger Things and the scenarios and the town that it's in, right. uh, which is pretty amazing. And I, I, I'll put a link over here in the in the in the uh, show notes to the Eater article on it. And they just take beautiful photos 
of the inside of it. And there's like things on the ceiling and like all these things from the set. It was pretty rad. I mean, it was really hipster. It was like the most hipster bar too. So that also helped, but they had uh, stranger things themed cocktails, which were pretty great. Like one of them was even, it's called Eleven's Egos. And there was actually like a little ego waffle in the yeah, drink, looking which at is that pretty, right now. pretty rad. I don't so know. It's why, pretty cool. Why'd they get a season in the system? If it's like, isn't there like a parody law where like they can do stuff like this? I don't know. I mean, I think that I think Netflix was all like, hey, guys, like, you know, this is cool, but, uh, you know, we kind of want some money. So. <laughs> right. And if you don't give us money, we're going to make your life hard. So, well, that's interesting. That, yeah. Yeah. It was super I can, cool. I can see it. Yeah, it was super cool. It was like one of the hip, most hipster things that we did. And we went on the architecture tour. Chicago's a cool town. Yeah, saw Hamilton, like you said. It was actually a really great week. And then there was just all this other work stuff, right? So that life-work balance of even taking a holiday in between was like the struggle. So that's why I think I'm so tired right now. And then I'm about to go to Paris. But there's also some you know time of a few days of holiday in there, too. And then back to work, right? So it's well, I a like lot of crazy. It's funny you say that about the life-work balance because I have not been able to balance as much life with work lately as I'd like. And I wonder, sometimes I feel like when I get, you know, when I get stressed about work, I have to like, in one hand, you have to take a breath and remind yourself like how lucky you are to even care enough about what you do that you get stressed out, right? That you that you care so much to kind of be in that position where you're not clocking in, clocking out. And I think that in, in today's modern, especially in America, I know that we have so many European employees and I always envy their ability to constantly be on vacation. <laughs> Hashtag European joke. Um, but <laughs> seriously, I do joke about that a lot with them. But, uh, you know, they know how to vacation and how to really have like a work-life balance. And I'm always like, you know, is there even such a thing if you really love your job? I enjoy like when my wife and kids are like kind of busy, I'm like, oh, man, I can get a good half an hour of work in here you know, before I have to uh, go back and do this. And I, and I love that. I love what I do. And I love chess.com. And, and, you know, obviously, that's kind of apparent. I do a lot of things for the site. But, but sometimes I wonder if that's the healthiest thing for me, you know, if I really should be like, no, Danny, this is when you, you know, get a book, or this is when you have a hobby. Like, what do you what do you think about what is you what is your advice on work life balance? Let's sit in the therapist chair of Mott's and you oh, tell me what you think about that. This is this is a hard one. Um, yeah, I, I I actually struggle uh, for probably like my entire career with life work balance. Um, it's it's really complicated, I would say, because yeah, and we're not unhappy about it necessarily, right? No, I mean, we I love, love what my, we do, and we're happy yeah. about it. But I think sometimes maybe certain things happen, or you recognize you're, you're caring maybe too much. And can you really have that balance and really really enjoy what you do? Is that possible? Yeah, so there's, you can, and I think, you know, because we are so passionate about our jobs, we want to say yes, and we want to do as much as we possibly can for the organizations that we work for, um, and also for the people that we're doing things for, too, right? So as we're making, as I'm working on Xamarin stuff, or you're doing chess stuff, it's like, we're also doing it not for just for work, because we love it, and we want to give back to the amazing community of, of players and developers that are, are using our products, um, and that's what we both do. We, we offer products at the end of the day, whether it's a video or a chess or a four-player chess or anything like that, right? Those are products. And I think, you know, I have always struggled to, when someone comes to me or there's things on my agenda of trying to take that step back and include the family, include my partner, include, you know, everyone around me to make sure that 
that that is something I should be doing? Where does it fall in? Just having the conversation is really important because I think the family and, and your partner, or whoever you're with, will understand as long as that communication is there. And I think that's what my struggle of life work balance has been is that I want to say yes, to everything I want to do everything, but I have to step back and say, hey, it's not just me making these decisions. It's kind of how does the entire um, everything around me get impacted? But and if it is going to get impacted, let's have the conversation about it um, before I even say yes. Right. So, hey, this is something that they've asked me to do. I'm not sure X, Y, Z. And how since I work from home, I think you work from home on occasion, too, if not, I don't know if you are always working at home now, but you did at one time is also having that life work balance of it's really hard to work at home and do the life work balance because your family is around you, your partners are around you and actually shutting off at the end of the day. So what I've tried to do is is kind of at this six o'clock zone to say, hey, it it's off, it's off, the monitors are off, I don't step back over into that area. It's a very hard discipline to do because there's a thousand things on your mind of what if I need to do this? What if that comes up? What if this comes up? And we're so inundated with notifications, whether it be on our watch, on our phone, on our desktop, on you know, all over the place. We're getting notified that we we someone, someone, someone needs us or something needs to be done. We need to kind of step back. And I am envious of when I have friends that are like, oh, I'm just taking a, a uh, you know, three weeks off or two weeks off. I'm like, how do you even do that? I'm trying to take two days off. So it's a constant battle. Well, yeah, I, I mean, listening to what you were going through there, I think I've had all the same similar things. And it's even harder at this point, just because, you know, we have, you know, we have kids too. And, and as they, one of the issues of being a young parent is, you know, like I have kids, but I'm still like in like the prime of like my life and my career. Right. Yeah. And so, but you also want to like, make sure they have the opportunities you did it because your parents were a little bit older and, and maybe like, and that's one thing I think about often. I think biologically, as my kids get older, um, and they are able to kind of grow up and start their lives and experience things. And I'm still young enough to kind of enjoy that and appreciate that. And, um, you know, then have kind of like a second life with my wife, like after the kids are kind of up and grown. I think biologically, that's why maybe people have kids young and it makes sense and it'll be nice in 10 years from now. But right now, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was like stressful at times, you know, balancing, keeping the 11, 12 year old happy with like our commitment to what he wants to do with sports and school and this and that. And then, you know, and then, you know, having a kid in diapers. I mean, it's uh, I mean, can I just like complain for like an hour now that I'm on your therapist chair? I mean, seriously, right? Like everything you just said. And no, but Shauna and I talk about that a lot, just finding that work life balance. And it is really great because I am, you know, very fortunate and in kind of a unique position that I can take whatever time off I really want. That's the truth. Like, you know, I don't even really have to travel if I don't want to. And I don't right now, like right now, the chess.com Isle of Man tournament is going on and people are like, oh, why don't you come? It's like your tournament is like, I don't need to go and I don't want to go. Like we have teammates who go. So I don't think I'm, I'm not looking for an excuse to get away from home like that, but it's just, it's just, uh, it's a struggle. So anyway, you know, one of those things that I appreciate when people just have the ability and find time for that. And I think in my younger years, I would be more resentful. It'd be like, well, how could, you know, this person doesn't work as hard as me or this or that, or how could somebody, you know, you know, find ways to, to relax and do that. And now I'm like just appreciating the opportunity that if someone feels like fulfilled in their life and they're able to have like a good, a good work-life balance, I'm like, dude, thumbs up to you. Yeah. You know, it's, cheers. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, and I, and I think the the I, I kind of see that, and and I don't even have any kids or any animals or anything like that, so it only gets more you know advanced, I should say, because it's not necessarily complicated. It's more advanced. It's more to think about and make sure that everyone there is is involved, and and you have to, you have to be cognizant of it, and you have to be the one thinking about it, right? It's not them. It's it's you that have to kind of step back and make sure that you are comfortable with every kind of decision, work decision you make and see what the pros and cons and what the impact is. So I think it's totally possible though. Like if you ask, like, is the life work balance? I see people that do it though. And I see people that even have more on their plate than me and they're able to accomplish it. I don't know how they're able right. to accomplish it, but they right. do. So I know the, the dream is alive for life work right. balance. So speaking of what people want to accomplish, you have a, uh, you have you have a new reason to want to accomplish having like a little blue check mark by your name on Twitter, apparently, from what I hear is coming. Apparently, yeah. So why not just technology is ruining our lives, but perhaps the internet and perhaps Twitter itself is ruining right. technology. Twitter is, might be ruining Twitter right now because I got to be on. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you tell what's coming. I'll give my opinion on this. Yeah, I'm. I am as a as a, fe- a fellow tweet tweeterizer uh, as you. Twi- uh, a tweetion, twi- a tweetion, I think. Yeah, t- t- yeah, exactly. We <laughs> we um we are having a struggle, I think, of a Twitter identity of Twitter right. itself. Right now, over the years, Twitter has always had a very hard 140 character limit for no apparent right. reason at all. That's been, that's been their thing. It's been their thing, and they've done some. They've taken some steps to make those characters more right. So in the beginning of Twitter. Every URL you posted or image or right. at reply you did, right. you counted towards 140 characters. So if you're on a thread of people, you could just at the end say Y or N basically for yes right. or no. Right. And they removed all that. And now the 140 characters are actually a lot more than 140 characters because that's just what you're writing, which kind of makes a lot of sense. No, it does. I, I've greatly appreciated on a professional level their willingness to kind of expand their just, you know, adding images to tweets makes them much more shareable. People want to engage when they see a pretty face or an interesting image or a recognizable face. Right. So adding letting images be there, allowing URLs to be posted and make them shorter. Those things have all been appreciated. I think so. And with which each, with each change, though, comes really a lot of backlash from right, Twitter users. from the core, right? From the, the core users, the, the fundamentalists will say. Yes. Yeah, the fundamentalist. Yeah. And Jack, um, so Jack, who's like the, the CEO or whatever right. of, of the Twitters and, and one of the founders. The, twi- the tweets. He's our, he's our leader. He's our he's our, he's our leader. Yes. He <laughs> came out about how they were going to expand to 280 characters that is twice as many characters as before so that's a lot of characters so if you were had 140 now you have 280 so that's like double that is literally double and how they rolled it out though was not to everybody of course at first they did a blog post and explained that you know nine percent of everyone in the u.s run into 140 character limit but in japan only 0.4 percent of all tweets hit this limit because of you know how we write words versus kanji versus anything else, right? Um, right. So that's kind of interesting. But how they're rolling it out is to a, a limited a number of people. And I just thought maybe it was verified people, that little blue checkbox that you see that means, I don't know, that you're, it's your account, I guess. I don't know. I never, I said, I'm not that cocky. You know, I see Danny has a blue check mark. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm not that cocky. I'm not it's actually, that it's, cocky. it's not about that. But first, let me give my opinion on on the, um, the character thing. Because I yeah, think the other... I think that it it's, it's so interesting because I've I've been curious what's going to happen 
on with Twitter, right? There's there's been, I mean, really, if you look at the past year and a half, Twitter has not been trending in the same direction as some of their, you know, some of the other massive juggernaut social networks as far as Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. And people have even, you know, predicted or or wondered if what you know what company will be the first kind of billion dollar unicorn IPO. I guess Yahoo has kind of gone down, but a lot of people just you know, have wondered how Twitter is going to evolve and keep themselves relevant as, as, you know, people are, I guess, other than the power users, I've, you know, Twitter hasn't been trending the right direction. I won't get into all that, but that's kind of what I've understood. And I think that part of this move is to make it easier for people to want to share their thoughts on, on Twitter and not on Facebook. Because I think that there are like, there's that fringe user, that mass market user who like maybe doesn't like the fact that Twitter limits it, where I've been like the opposite. I've loved that part of Twitter because I've basically started telling people, look, if you can't tell me what you're trying to say in 140 characters or less, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And, and people are like, oh, that's the opposite. People say, how can you say anything that matters in 140 characters there or less? And I'm like, if you can't say what you want in 140 characters or less, like, does it need to be said? Like, get to the point. And I use social media for very specific purposes, uh, you know, to really, I mean, they're all kind of selfish and professional to kind of grow uh, our brand online. I am not a big share what's going on with me personally person. And so I've also, you could also say that makes me more of a Twitter kind of kind of jerk because... I like that people can follow me and allow me to share and connect with them, and I don't have to follow them back. Whereas, like, on Facebook, like, sometimes it felt like in order to, like, have a lot of people involved in what you were doing, you had so much going on. I don't log into Facebook because because it's, like, overwhelming to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Twitter, I can really customize kind of what I'm what I'm reading and follow who I want and create lists. And I think following who you want, who you deem interesting, creating lists and kind of controlling your experience with that limitation of 140 characters or less was always what I personally actually really liked about Twitter over other social networks. So yeah, I think it's it's interesting because a lot of people I'm sure will be upset about this as it rolls out, and then we'll all get over it and forget it. And I think it made me think about my words and it was also easier to review so I could I mean not that I didn't make mistakes but it was easy it's easier to review 140 characters than it is 280 or, or 280 words or anything like that and I like this tweet in the bottomless Engadget article that Caitlin Kelly actually tweeted back because Jack wrote you know 280 characters and then she chopped it down to what 140 or 139 characters would look like basically and like the words that you could use and how basically it's just full of words that aren't really important at all to the context right. and to be honest most right. of the time as you're reading you don't really read every single word or every you skim your brain naturally skips over words so if it's smaller your brain may comprehend a lot more of it now to me i don't care you mean you mean if your brain is smaller if, if your brain is smaller yeah <laughs> no, i guess i'm kidding <laughs> Can only go to can only really bring in those 140 characters. To me, though, I don't know. I use Twitter all the time, and I, you know, it may help us. I, I often, sometimes, when I'm promoting the podcast or promoting my other podcasts that I do, it's hard to fit in like the full what this episode is about. So I think I will like it for that. But on my day to day, I don't really ever see myself. I'm sure I'll use the more characters, but when it actually does roll out, but I don't. I don't care. Whatever. It's just my. Well, whatever. I mean, and back to the. Back to the, I, I'm looking at uh, Caitlin Kelly's uh, thing now. I think that's kind of a creative uh, way to to go about that. That was, um, but back to the back to the blue checkmark thing. I want to clarify, it's oh, not yeah. a cocky thing, okay? And I do not currently have the ability to do 280, so you don't need to be jealous, okay? Yep. Um, a little bit, but it is. 
the reason we did it actually, there are a number of things you you can't do on Twitter without a verified account. Um, as far as like some of the analytics and some of the stuff mm. we were trying to do, as far as so that was honestly the pure reason why I did it. And <clears throat> there was a time when we were we were. I mean, right now we have multiple people who manage the Chess.com Twitter account, and there was a time where we were trying to use you know as far as like brand extension, use people that are well known, maybe share slightly more personal angle things, but still kind of like from the Chess.com team, mm. right? So that that was the reason we did it. And um, you know, I just don't want you to think that I. Had to go out of my way to get a blue check mark. Although, if I look at it right now, it does kind of look cute to have a blue check mark. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, I always thought about going through the verification process, and I started to fill it out, and I was like, nah, it doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe I should yeah, do it. No, but yeah, this is stupid. I'll take my yep. follower count uh, above your blue check oh, but, mark. But they are getting closer and closer to have, having it mean value, and this is another step. So at some point, even you know, you, you may do it because I mean. Uh, you know, some people also hide their feeds unless you're verified, which, okay, I don't think I was ever really hidden by people because I'm not a crazy potty mouth or whatever, right? I mean, but I know that overall, one of the things that Twitter has been great about is all these parody accounts, right? Like you follow, you know, emo Kylo Ren, right? Or like, you know, Darth Vader, you know, that's what makes Twitter hilarious. But also, as you know, when you deal with like controversial issues and trolls or, you know, people, you know, abuse issues, all the anonymous accounts becomes a deterrent. And again, it speaks against the Twitter experience versus the Facebook experience where they say, hey, everybody on Facebook is who they say they are. Yes, we get hacked by some server in the Dominican, you know, every few months and a bunch of fake accounts get created. But they, Facebook has always historically made more of an effort to prove that the experience was authentic and the users were real. Um, so I think that's another thing Twitter is trying to do is is make, make it a little bit more legitimate. You know when people are who they say they are, that's all. Yeah, I would like to see like over time that kind of expand because I do like that the capabilities like you're saying in the the verification I thought about it because you have more almost control over your Twitter account which a lot of people don't actually know what that blue check mark also gives them and and things like that so I think it's quite interesting I yeah because my... it initially started just like for celebrities who yeah. would try to get a Twitter account oh somebody's already Will Ferrell here's what we're gonna do we're gonna let celebrities at least be verified and then over time it became like a hey you know we have more analytics we can offer and more management tools actually and we can you know, customize your experience and, and people, you know, so it's, it's, um, it has its reasons besides vanity. Okay. Although my profile picture with the mustache, that was all vanity. That's all all, vanity. You are, when I think of Danny, I think all vanity, just really exclusive, really nice. Look at that mustache on my Twitter profile. If if you have a phone, if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, I think I could pull that off legitimately. Um, but anyway, I digress. Are you going to be, do you, do you grow facial hair, Danny? Like on a normal? You know, I don't because it's one of those things. My dad has like had a lifelong mustache. He's, mm. he's a mustacher, a mustachian. Yes. He's a lifelong. And so what happens is I think you just don't want to look like your dad, you know? And then my wife has known my dad for a long time too. So like if I start growing a mustache and she thinks I look like my father, like, does that get weird? Mm. Right. Um, and when you're younger and you have like a random mustache, I think people sometimes look at you and think creeper. I don't know. But if you grow full facial hair, I mean, beard town is all in, right? Hipster mm-hmm. town. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I think when I've had a goatee, my wife has said I look sleazy. Uh, but then every once in a while, I'll do like the Apollo Ono. I'll go so patch. There you go. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be like, honey, I'm going to Apollo Ono it for a month. Um, and, and she's not into Apollo Ono yeah. or his, or his little soul patch thing. So I don't, you know, a lot of this just comes back to the abuse in my marriage that I'm taking from my wife, you know, where she's just like, doesn't want me to do 
you know, doesn't want me to do anything that she doesn't want me to do. No, I'm kidding. But I, I do, I do directly believe that, um, that I don't experiment a lot with my facial hair because I, because I just like don't have the time to deal with my wife's stress about it. Yeah, you'll have to, I'll have to take a photo of my face one time. I've been for the last few months working on, on something and, and, and a lot of support coming in for the beer. Cause I, I, I am like you, my dad mustacher all of his life. No, like right. rest of the facial hair. So I'm, I'm basically just doing the full on current hipster thing. I feel like I'm kind of late to the trend, but like I didn't really realize it was trending until I was already doing it. And then it was. That's the story of my life. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't realize things are trending usually until it's over. Yeah. But then that's when you start. Right. That's when I start. Yeah. So I'm excited because I, I, I saw the, on Twitter that there were people just walking in off the streets as this chess tournament trying to get their hands on Carl Magnuson. And yeah. essentially, Carl's, yeah, he's you want to get your hands on him. You want to get who doesn't yeah. want to get your hands on little Magnus so Carlson. Th- we got to share a link to the tweet here. Uh, <laughs> this is actually a well-known chess player in the in the background. If you're looking at the tweet, this is Amon Hamilton, who is um He's a chess bra. They have a Twitter channel, Chess Bras, um, which is exactly, you know, implies exactly what you think. Like, what are they like, like broing out, like in a frat house kind of thing? Um, so chess, the chess bra crew, Amon is growing out a beard until he gets his grandmaster title. Oh my which gosh. Is, and so he's an international master like me, and he's trying to get his grandmaster title. So if you look, this thing started a a while ago from what you can see based on his beard <laughs> and it's it's becoming more and more unsanitary by the day and uh somebody somebody caught this on camera and photoshopped it <laughs> into uh twitter and and whatever it was hilarious and um anyway but yeah so all of the chess world is turning their eyes to the isle of man that's where uh, this photo of Amon Hamilton was taken, and uh, that's our tournament going on with Carl playing uh, James's buddy Carl. Carl different, how did my buddy Carl do? How did he? He's he leading the tournament with Classic. four and a half out of five. He's only given up one draw. Nice. So he's four and a half out of five, along with Pavel Elyonov, uh, followed closely by the two Amer- the American duo, Fabiana Caruana and Hikaru Nakamura. So it's still anybody's game moving into the back half of the event. Uh, we have all kinds of coverage of it, and uh, it's it's pretty awesome. People love it. I, I uh, we've we've this has been really cool for our channel because we live so much in the online world. I mean, we're chess.com and everyone covers online chess and people stream and stuff. So to actually have our full crew on site at an OTB event uh, over the board for those who don't speak online chess language, OTB. Uh, people, OTB. People these days, they used to look down on online chess. These days, people look down on OTB chess. They're like, man, oh. you got time to play an OTB <laughs> tournament on the weekend? Yo, bro, just play on chess.com. <laughs> um, so... OTB events and chess.com, we're kind of trying to continue to make that our mission to merge the online world and the and the over-the-board chess world and actually grow the game, whereas a long time, one thing you wouldn't know about the chess politics and the historical politics of chess online is that, you know, so many of the major organizations in chess fought partnerships and relationships with the with the online entities because they saw them as the enemy and were fighting online chess growth because they thought they were going to kill over the board chess growth, which I think the door swung that way for a long time. You know, the online servers got better and better and better and the experience was better and better. So why should people continue 
to uh, to play over the board. It's such a huge time commitment. But now I think the opposite is happening, where the online sites have won that battle anyway. The organizations have kind of understood the error of their ways, and there's a lot more partnerships and a lot more cooperation to kind of be like, look, the chess world has grown a ton because of the window that has been created to that casual gaming chess enthusiast. Yeah, yeah. And now we need to find ways to kind of make them even more addicted to the game and get them in that kind of tournament experience and let them see what that feels like. So I like to think chess.com's Isle of Man is another good step in that direction. That's my pie in the sky thought. I like that. I think that you're right. I think that it's kind of like anything out there. Like while even online gaming grew and all this other stuff, like there's still that connection that you have looking your opponent and that something about that attracts me to wanting to go see an, an over the board type of game or seeing a live match, right? I can watch football online, you know, every weekend I can watch soccer on online you know, or on TV or online or something like that. But being there in person is a different feel to the entire entirety yep. of it. Now, and playing in person is a different feel too. Oh, as totally. somebody who only gets to play online these days, but it's, you know, it's a totally different, really engaging, so, so good and healthy for you too experience. But, um, Anyway, yeah, everyone everyone should focus on the Isle of Man for the next week if you're only if your only chess experience is through this weekly random blunders podcast, you know, check out the Isle of Man and the FIDE World Cup is over, which has been the other big knockout exciting event if people remember we first talked to that about that about a month ago. Um so Levon Aronian won that. Very cool. It's actually a huge accomplishment to be honest. I mean, winning the World Cup is it's 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 just insane. The odds of you know, it's so hard. I mean, Carl couldn't do it, right? Carl was eliminated. Hikaru was eliminated. Pretty much name everybody else in the world, I guess, besides Levon Aronian. They played and were eliminated. So um, anyway, so but but now it's time to focus on the aisle, and that's that's where everyone will be for the next week. Now, let me ask you a question, Danny, if I can. Okay. Does, well, I mean, we've never done that before, so don't, <laughs> you know, don't well, overwhelm me. Well, because the question is, you know, we always ask every week, why doesn't chess matter? And the question is, does chess really matter? Because I am hearing on the street that chess is like a thing of the past and four-player chess is what the, it's all about now. And that's the only thing that matters. Well, it's that is a great question about why chess matters or doesn't matter. <laughs> four-player chess is awesome. It is mind-blowingly, overwhelmingly, migraine-causing awesome. And... uh it's it's now on the main nav at chess.com. It's that popular. But if you just go there and you play some four-player chess, it's hard to even explain. This is a good movie. I don't want to give you a 30-second summary of this. I want people who, anybody who have a little bit of chess knowledge, I want them to go try it. But basically, how would four piece sets be added to one massive chessboard? That's what we did. Um, and it has some fanaticals. I'm kind of one of them, although I have to do other work. But if I could, I would just play four-player chess all day right now. Uh, it's just that much fun. So it's um, it's nuts. And it's also a game that I think people like too much because it relates to that part of other board games where it's about gathering how many points you can get. Chess has that overall strategical arching thing. Like, even if you're down points, you can still beat the single opponent by getting checkmate. And checkmate is worth a lot in four-player chess. But because there's four players, there's multiple people to get checkmate. Made it. So how do you how do you track who's winning? And that's where the point system comes in. And really, in the end, it's all about getting points and your domination of all three of the other parties. And that makes it, I think, really fun, too, for people. Yeah, it's kind of like the spinoff where the normal the all of the normal chess rules apply. Right. So your your pawn opening is still the same of two or one spaces, the diagonals, like all the pieces follow the same rules. The difference is 
like I started playing it today. Like you and I were like, let's just go play it before the, let's go play a match before, before we start up. And, and it, and it shifts your entire brain to, to say, look at all these other possibilities and all these lanes that are opening and all these weird things. And you're like, oh, cause you're looking to the left and then you're, you have to look to the, to your right. And then like, oh my goodness, like someone's going to attack me from the north. And it's just like you, it's, it's, it's frantic, but it's, fun. it's almost like the battle for Scotland and Braveheart. <laughs> it kind of is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, He's like, baronet. And then he's like, I love her. Always have. And then you're like, where is he coming from? Is he Ireland? Is he coming? Is Ireland coming? Is, Is you know, that it it reminds me of that. No, it's a, it's a real, it's a real medieval battle for player chess. Yeah. So we'll, we'll link to it directly in the show notes. But yeah, if you have not checked it out, I'm, I'm a, I might become a fanatic myself. I'm really Uh, only available on the web right now. So don't be upset, mobile users. It's only available on the web. So, um, at this, at this time. At this time. In fact, I don't even know how we're going to put it in mobile. It's it's such a... It's magic. Such a crazy... Well, I, it's just crazy. I don't know how we're going to do it on a, from a from a UI perspective, designing yeah. it. I don't even know yet. Well, it seems so. like you guys are also taking feedback, right, from all the users. Because I watched you. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I watched you, you play a game, and now it's all different completely. I really like the new setup, by the way. It's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's we're, we're we're making it different all the time, and it's definitely in beta. I think we're keeping it in beta for a while, just to kind of you know really really give ourselves the freedom to break things and to push new stuff forward. And and but we're we're really calming down. I think we're settling into what we like here. So it's good stuff. I'm thinking it it should it should be close to finish soon. All right. Well, let me ask you one more question. Okay, we've mots. never done two questions before, two que- like cause, ever. Because that wasn't Mott's ass and I am, right? That was just... That was more why doesn't chess matter, Yeah, right? that was more why doesn't chess matter. Now, right. in this series of Mott's ass and I am, I want to go a little bit magical. You want to go to what really, really matters. This is a chess question that has been waiting to be asked for a very long time. Yeah, and, and you're the only person I could trust with asking and getting a proper response right. from. And in Wizard's Chess... Which we all know. Right, and love. Okay. <laughs> um, is this because I'm a Harry Potter fan and a chess fan, or a former Harry Potter fan? It, it could or, possibly be. Could possibly. There's be. no such thing as a former Harry Potter no. fan. Just like as Putin said, there's no such thing as a former KGB agent. There's so not. Um, <laughs> there's not. So go ahead. So in in Wizards Chess, the question I have to ask is: Should Ron have ultimately sacrificed himself to the White Queen so that Harry? could checkmate the king and well that's what he did right yeah but should he have and was that a smart move and would the white queen have done that in 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 like an engine type scenario well the first of all (laughs) i don't know that the book or the movie ever show enough they don't explain enough of the chess moves or really give you enough of kind of a panoramic view to really know the full position, at least if it's true, I'm that I'm not really worthy of being a Harry Potter fanatical fan. So if somebody writes into the show and says, Danny, you're wrong, like all the detail is there. If you pause, you know, the Sorcerer's Stone at this exact moment, you can, I, I don't know. I've never seen the full position. And so I think the, the goal of the movie, the for the appropriateness of that moment Ron should have sacrificed himself because it was the only way for them to get through to the king. Now, is like, is the question like, did the did the queen really have to take Ron, right? Or was that just movie drama? Was did he really have to sacrifice himself to win, or were they just winning anyway? I don't know because I don't know enough of the position, but I can say that it's certainly legitimate that you should be able to make your opponent take you. Like 
um, we would call it more of like a decoy sacrifice. And, and, and in many ways, that's actually part of more of a combination. Mm. If your opponent is forced to capture you, it's hard to really call it a sacrifice. Like, because it's a four series of moves where if the implication is that if, if they didn't take Ron, Ron would have been checkmating the king. The only way you're ever really forced to take something is if, if you didn't, you would lose even faster. Right. Got it. So because I don't know the position, was Ron really like, was he forcing the queen to take him? Because if the queen didn't, then Ron was going to be delivering checkmate. And that would be the one area where I think your question is, is truly legitimate because they don't really play up that well. Like as far as chess relating to it, what it should have been was Ron being like, this is forced, Harry. Like he has to take me because if they don't, then I'll checkmate them. And then he'll be like, but Ron, Ron, if you do that, you'll get what I, I can't do English accent right now, right? But like that would be a legitimate way for it to go down. Is is not for it to be like a total underdog scenario, but that's how yeah. they play it. Like, oh, the only way out is this. Because if you're really that dead, then your opponent probably doesn't have to take Ron, and they wouldn't take Ron in a real chess game because why would you blunder into a checkmate? But if it's part of a force combination, then they did play that wrong. Ron should have been like should have been Ron's genius idea to be like, look. If he doesn't take me, I'm going to checkmate him, Harry, but he's going to, and then you're going to be the hero, right? That's how it should have been. Yeah. I, so I've so. linked you to, um, from, from really te- some terrible looking websites, but there, so, so you are correct, actually. So it's a little bit of a trick question because there is some complications in how they cut the movie to actually play back each move by move. And right. there's a pretty good website, uh, theleakycauldron.org that, that I linked okay, to I- that, that essentially breaks down the move by move and where Hermione, Harry, and Ron are on the board um, to set up the final checkmate uh, for Harry. Okay. Essentially, and, and what do they what do they deem there? So um, uh, it's 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 kind of interesting. They they kind of walk through an opening position here, um, kind of the the where it begins with um, Hermione's on the rook, Harry's on a bishop, Ron on a knight, and. Uh, essentially says Harry's on the bishop on a3 while Ron is on a knight on g5 and Hermione is on the rook on f8. Black has lost his queen, but he has a strong attack against the white king. Black's immediate threat is uh, uh, is knight h3 mate. So white begins with queen d3. Uh, this eats a pawn. I'm just going to read this to everyone that's on here thereby making the producer happy and prevents the knight's instructions into eight intrusion into h3. She's also threatened to capture Harry on a3. Note that I had the queen that uh, make the capture because I wanted to do everything possible to turn this piece into something the young fans hated. I think this was from like whoever created this. I wanted to turn the white queen into the scene's villain, basically. So rook c3 happens here. Um, and then queen c3 takes that, knight h3, something. I don't know, it's a little complicated. Uh, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but it's essentially this this whole shenanigans happens and then Harry has to come in. It seems a little orchestrated. A little um, bit. I mean, no surprise. I mean, we're literally talking about a magical world of wizardry where the chess pieces <laughs> come to life. But, but if, okay, if you're given asking me my just like gut chess opinion... Like, was that a forced sacrifice? Does that seem legitimate? Uh, right. But, you know, for the setting, you know, it made it made sense, I guess. So it's it's um, 
I feel like I'm falling flat on my Harry Potter knowledge. I feel like if I was truly a Harry Potter fan, I were I, w- I should be able to quote the chess game for you. I mean, I have the chess abilities to just know the game. Yeah. But um, but maybe I'll do that. You know, for future, just in case somebody's gonna write in after the show and been like, "Yo, bro, you like should've I should have known this, right? Is it legitimate or not? You know, I what I I'll tell you what is legitimate. All right, Ron's Ronald Weasley's post Harry Potter career. I mean. Actually, wait, no. I think I think Hermione seems to have the best post career going. I think so. I think Hermione does over yeah. D over D Rad, yeah, as I call him because we're buds. D Rad, D Rad, and uh, okay, wait. Oh, wait, you yeah. Let let me look at this. So I, I see the game. I could do this whole thing in my head real quick. Yeah. So so as um, as as, as Danny is going through because I was reading, but you you are actually now. See, it's interesting because now I think you need to have a chess uh, a chess today show on this specifically. Yeah. Yeah. This is that's a great idea, actually. <laughs> million dollar <laughs> ideas from James Montemagno. Okay, well, at the very least, this is I can I can confirm for you already on move like fifteen in my head right now that this is one of the worst chess games I've ever seen. A lot of bad moves being played by both sides here. But J.K. Rowling didn't claim to be like a genius chess player. Yeah, she she didn't. You know, uh, th- and she made up this game essentially herself. Yeah, she didn't bring in experts to analyze the chessboard. Perhaps should have. Rookie two, rook f one, queen takes f two, rook takes f two, rookie one. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So it does. So the queen sacrifice, which is what Ron did, right? He sacrificed himself as the queen. He sacrificed himself as the knight. As the knight. Yes. That's not what happened to deliver checkmate. So looking at this game, I can confirm that's now wrong. Okay. He did not sacrifice a knight in the way the movie went down. I remember it being a um like. Ron does it, and he's like, Ron! Right? And then, but now he's like, sucks it up that his friend just like died from the White Queen, mm-hmm. and now he's going to go deliver the mate in like one move. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he's just so going to swoop in. And that like, hey. is not what happens in this chess notation. Okay. I can confirm. Got that. it. Perfect. He A queen does sacrifice itself two moves before checkmate, but it's a queen, not a knight. Got it. Got it. So this is great. I, I, I'm so glad we got to the bottom of this. This might be... The most critical question we've ever, you've ever, you've ever asked. You're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> oh, uh, well, now that we've figured out the mystery and magic of wizards and Harry Potter, Harry I think that it may be uh, time for me to go play some Quidditch. Some Quidditch. You know what? And I'll, I'll meet you right there um, with uh, some. Uh, it's got nothing. Yeah, I got, I got, I got nothing. I literally had nothing. Remember like, when I was like, I wanted to be super fan. I, I kept, I can't remember butter, butter beer, butter beer. That's correct. I've, I've tasted okay. that delicious. I wanted to meet you there with the butter beer after the game. Yeah, That's yeah. what I was going to say. There you go. But I, I didn't say butter beer. I choked because I was nervous. I was going to be butchering it more, but butter beer. So I'll meet you at, um, not all of Anders. I'll meet you at the leaky cauldron for a butter beer after the game, brah. Perfect, brah. All right. Well, I will talk to you. <laughs> Next week, Danny, go play more four-player chess. It is phenomenal. It's good work on that. You can find the show everywhere on the internet. You just go to your podcast app. You type in Coffeehouse Blunders, and boom, there it is. Hit subscribe button. Tell us your favorite um, movie in the Harry Potter franchise, um, and we'll break them down next week for you on Coffeehouse Blunders. All right, buddy. See ya. I miss ya. See ya. I love ya. Miss you, too. Love you. Kisses. Kisses.